Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. There's a game that uh, we're going to be introducing to you today, and it's one that um, I can still remember the words to the commercial. It's one of the very few commercials I remember from growing up. It's a game that I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not, but it's a fun one. It's a race against a clock. Here's how it goes. I'm going to give you the words, and I'm going to see if you could fill in the final word to know what the name of this game is. You ready? Here's how the commercial went. Put the pieces into the slots. Make the right connection. But be careful. You're racing the clock. Pop goes perfection. Come on, someone. Does anyone else remember that? Perfection. The race against the clock to get all of these pieces into these slots. It looks so simple, right? No, it's a lot harder than it, than it looks. You're racing, you're trying to get these in, and I want to tell you, all the triangles look one way, all the squares look another, and, and I'll just wind it up a little bit to show you how this thing goes. What you do is you have all the pieces, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to fit those into the different slots along the way, but it can become challenging to remember which place the different shapes are. This is why it's important to study uh, ge geometry. Students stay, stay in school. But you're trying, and then when the time runs out, it all blows up. The pieces go everywhere. And in the commercial, I mean, the pieces like fly in the air. The house comes off its foundation that the game's being played in. It's never been that earth shattering. <clears throat> but let's think about this for just a moment. The game of perfection is a race against the clock to fit everything in its perfectly designed compartment and complete that within the allotted time. Some of you would say, Pastor, I've never played the game of perfection, but I've been playing the game of perfection every day of my life. I've never played on that game, but I know exactly what you're talking about because my life feels like the game of perfection. It is a race against the clock to get everything just right in its perfect place. And more days than not, the whole thing's blowing up in my face. Is anyone with me? That's what it feels like. It's a race against the clock. It's you juggling multiple priorities, multiple things that are going on around you, trying to maintain your sanity while you maintain the busyness of life. And I want to tell you, we do have it extra difficult because I want to tell you, we live in the Northeast, and you live in New Jersey, and some of you work in New York City. And I want to tell you, it is a city. It is a place that never sleeps, right? Life is busy. It's busy. There's a lot going on, and so it can be incredibly challenging to see all these things come together. And you are living a life desiring perfection. We see these images, these ideas of perfection that are put in front of us all the time. And so we're striving in many ways to have that perfect life, to have that perfect picture, to have that perfect family, to have those perfect things going on inside and around us. And so as we're striving towards that idea of perfection, some of us, we become burnt out by it. And you've realized, you know what? It's not about perfection. It's not about that anymore. It, it, it's not, I can't achieve perfection. I'll never be perfect. And so I'm just completely satisfied kind of get, getting away from that. I'm not trying that anymore. I've gotten out of the race. I've gotten out of all that. I'm, I'm not about perfection. When we go into God's word and we think about this idea, there's an amazing tension that comes up because there's a verse of scripture. It's a, it's a statement that Jesus makes that has challenged me over the years to my core. And it happens during the Sermon on the Mount. And we find it here in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus is talking. And I want you to imagine with me that he's talking to a group of, of, of thousands 
they're sitting up on a hillside. And as they're sitting there, he's speaking to them about life and about life in the kingdom. He's speaking to them in ways that they'd never heard someone speak before. They're amazed, they're in awe, but the things that he's saying are challenging them to their core. Because he keeps saying things like this, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he redefines even what the religious leaders at the time thought was right. And Jesus said, he turns it on its head. He changes the rules right in front of them. They said, we've been playing it this way all these years. He says, you've heard it said, but this is what I'm saying to you. And as he's speaking to them, here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. He said, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I wish I could tell you today that, well, when you go back in the Greek and you look at the original language, Jesus didn't really mean perfect. He meant, I can't do that today. Because when you study and you go back, it means perfect. It means complete. It means lacking nothing. It means whole in every way. What Jesus is saying is, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, some of you are taking a quick inventory of your life. And whether you know a little bit about God or you know a lot about God, you're thinking, I'm not as perfect as him. I'm not as perfect. Some of you think you're as perfect as him. Look to your neighbor. Let them talk to you for a moment. Let them reassure you that you're not. So we look at this passage, and it's one of those statements, this hard sayings of Jesus that can confound us. Could you imagine sitting there as they're sitting there and they're enjoying that nice grassy patch of field that they're sitting on and listening to Jesus, how many of them just would have been completely caught off guard. If you were sitting there, you heard these statements. We read it and we can scratch our heads, but in that day, you would probably have heard audible gasps as Jesus says, be perfect as as God is perfect? What do you mean? How is that even possible? You may be asking that question today, and that's why I want us to take a moment to step into a story in the Bible. It's a story in the New Testament and actually the Gospel of Luke that uh, tells the story of two people And it's going to give us some great insight into what we mean and what the Lord means whenever he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So turn with me now to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. And it's here that we see a story of two people. They're two pictures of individuals that are striving for perfection. And as we take a look at how they're doing that and what that's really looking like for them, It's going to give us a lot of insight into what we're talking about today, that how do we, how can we be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So look with me at Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 38. Here's what it says. Now as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So as we look at this passage of scripture, we're going to get two pictures of two people striving for perfection, 
trying to attain some form of perfection. And the first person we're going to look at is we're going to look at Martha. See, these two sisters, the Bible says, that they are getting ready to entertain. They're getting ready to have Jesus into their home. And this is very important in that day. It's, it's, a, it's a very, very honored thing to ha- have someone come into your home to entertain, to offer hospitality. In that day and age, that was a sign of deep respect, of reverence, and you made a very big deal when someone came into your home. In fact, a few decades ago, I would say, in America, uh, you would have made a big deal about people coming into your home. You would have been very close with your neighbors. Just yesterday, we had a, a garage sale, and I was reminded of, uh, of just how great our neighbors are, but how little we get to interact with them and connect with them. I don't know about you, but there are people that are around you that if you lived in the 60s, the 70s, maybe even the 80s, maybe the 50s, you would have had maybe a completely different relationship with some of them. In fact, at any point in time, they may have been able to knock on your door, and you know what would have happened? You would have welcomed them in. You would have had some dessert ready for them. You would have maybe invited them right to the dinner table to eat with you. Do you know what happens now whenever people knock at your door? You think there's an emergency. You think they're a robber. You don't know what's going on. Someone knocks at the door, they're your neighbor. You're like, what's going on? Is everything okay? I just wanted to say hi. You want to say what? You want to say hi? Text me. Call me. What What is this? Right? Isn't that how it is now? I know you're not coming into my house. My house is a mess, you know? Like, so, so that's, how, that's how, things, how far things have come. But I want you to know there used to be this thing called hospitality. You could just show up at anyone's house. Maybe you know a few people like that. You're probably some of the most popular people in our church if you, your house is always open and, uh, and willing. But you know, you know what that, that can feel like is, uh, is just to entertain and just welcome people in as they come. It's, it's great to be able to experience that. But they made a big deal whenever someone showed up. Now imagine Jesus, just the one showing up at the home. And they're seeing, I have to prepare for his arrival. I have to get ready. We have to get everything ready. And so you can imagine when you're getting ready for a party, when you're getting ready to host some people in your home, you're getting it all, you're getting it all in order. And so when we look at the first person, it's Martha. And for Martha, it's a picture of outward perfection. For Martha, she was consumed with getting the house in order. Martha is consumed with getting the house in order. And so for her, it's all about cleaning up. It's all about getting ready. So many of us, we can understand exactly what this is like. Your house does not look the way your house normally looks when people are coming over, right? I know that there are some of us here today that there are closets in your house that when you have guests there, you're praying. They don't mistake it for the bathroom because they open that, all this junk's going to fall out. And you know what all that junk is? All the stuff that's normally there whenever they're not over, right? And so that happens. There are, there are, there are like, uh, you know, places probably in, in cabinets. You're like, please don't open that cabinet. There will be teddy bears and treats and all kinds of things that will fall out. Because everything just gets tucked away. Why? Because the goal is outward perfection. It doesn't matter as much what's tucked away wherever it is, outward perfection. We think about that as, as well if you're selling a home and you are putting it on the market and you're having people come through your house or doing open houses Here's what you need to know if you're ever going to an open house. That house is not what that house looks like every day of the week. Make sure there's storage space. Make sure there's all those other things because normally you're just getting the best picture of it. It's a very clean, outwardly perfected version of it. Are you following me? And so with that, the name of the game is getting the house in order. Get everything tucked away. Make sure it looks really good. That's what Martha was consumed with. She felt like pleasing Jesus in that moment meant having everything in order having everything right, having everything looking just 
well enough so that all the service would go off flawlessly. But she's looking at her sister. And from the moment Jesus arrives, we don't know what she's doing beforehand, but I'm guessing that there was a different plan going into that day than her being completely absent from her sister's side. Now, some of you, you also know exactly what this feels like because you can have a plan with your spouse, with your children, with whoever, to say, hey, we're all going to get ready. We're having guests over. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to take out the trash. You're going to do this. You're going to clean. You're gonna, I'm going to cook. Okay, then someone arrives early, half an hour early, whatever it is. Your kids are gone. You don't know where they're at. Trash isn't out. Everything's everywhere, and there you are holding all the, all the strings, all the bags. You know what I'm saying? And so there you are going through all that, and you're getting frustrated. You're thinking, oh, man, I can't wait till our guests leave. They're going to hear it. You know, they're going to they're gonna get it, whatever the case might be. So, so we don't know what the plans are that, and what Mary was doing beforehand, but from the time Jesus enters her home, she just pops herself down right at his feet. And she is just consumed with listening to Jesus. And for Martha, she just cannot wrap her head around this. What in the world is going on? Like, you know that you know that you know. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We have to get everything in order. Everything has to be right. We have to serve them perfectly. And I'm having to carry all that weight myself. And so she gets so frustrated. Could you imagine this with me? That you, like, you have a boss or someone in your home, a very revered guest, someone that you respect immensely. And you have someone that has agreed to help you, and now they're not helping you. Could you imagine going to your boss and being like, can you believe this? Can you believe my no good sister isn't even helping me? She's sitting here talking to you. Tell her, yell at her, please. I know you're my boss, but dock her pay. Punish her. You know, like, like, like you know, he, this is what happens. Martha gets so frustrated. So as, as you could see in, in, in this home, the temperature is rising, not because anything's being cooked or prepared, but because Martha is about to burst with anger and frustration. And she actually calls out her sister right in front of Jesus. Look what she says in verse 40. It says, Martha was distracted from all her preparations. And she came up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Now, there's a problem that Martha has in this moment. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. There's a problem that's coming to the surface, and the Bible actually tells us exactly what it is. We don't have to guess. It says, but Martha was what? Distracted by all her preparations. She was distracted by all of her preparations. And so many times we look at Martha as being maybe some perfectionist, someone that, you know, she's just too worried about cooking and cleaning and doing all those household chores. She was just like one of those people that, you know, she has a compulsion that everything just has to be right and perfect whenever someone enters into her home. But let's not miss the point here. Who was she doing all that she was doing for? Jesus. Martha is not a picture of just a perfectionist. She's a picture of a beloved servant of Jesus. She loves Jesus and she wants to serve him the very best she can. I'm telling you this today because the church is filled with a lot of Marthas. And they're not just the people that are employed by the church. It can easily happen if you're an employee of a church. But I want to tell you, many of our faithful volunteers, many of you that even serve in ministry or have lives where you've served in ministry and been so engaged and so involved in everything, 
At some point in time or another, you may have turned into a Martha. And Martha isn't a bad person. It's not a bad word. But you need to be real with yourself today if that's where you're at. Because Martha had become distracted with all her preparations. But remember, everything she was doing, she was doing it for Jesus. Everything she was doing, everything she was putting all the work in on, she was doing it for the Lord. And she was working so hard and she was so frustrated with her sister because she had a picture of what it needed to look like at the end of the day. As Martha was working and as she was striving, she was doing what she thought would best please Jesus. There are some of you that you're working, you're serving, you're putting in hours, you're, you're going the extra distance and you are getting so caught up in it. In everything you're doing, you're doing it unto the Lord. You want to please Jesus. But you have to check yourself and you have to ask this one question. Have I become distracted by all the preparations? Because in her pursuit to please Jesus, she missed what was most pleasing to Jesus. In her pursuit to please him and to do what she thought was right, she began to become off track. Whenever you become distracted by something, you think about distracted driving. Why is that a bad thing? Because you're vulnerable of going off course and crashing or causing pain or damage to something. Whenever you become distracted in life, you have a greater chance of going off course, which will ultimately lead to some kind of accident, some kind of crash, or some kind of pain. And so with that, She's distracted by all of her preparations. So somehow, the work she was trying to do for the Lord was actually becoming a distraction. And she was starting to miss the point of what the Lord wanted most in that moment from her. So I say that because I believe that any of us can fall into that place. That we can get so caught up in what we're doing that we can actually get off course. I want to tell you about a group of people because this is very important because you would think in your mind, Pastor, this isn't making sense. I've always equated the amount of stuff that I do and how busy I am and all that, that that's all good. That can never be bad. That can never be wrong. It's nothing that I should ever be worried about. I want to paint a picture for you of a group of people that had walked down a similar road. It was all about what they were doing for God and all that they wanted to do to please God. They were a group of people that looked at the Old Testament, let's go 400 years before the time of Jesus. They're there and they're reading the Old Testament, they're reading the law and they love God's word and they love God. And they say, we want to please God. We want to please God, we want to make him happy, we want to do everything that he says and we're going to do it and we're going to protect it in every way. We're going to make sure that everyone else is doing it as well. And years go on and what started out as a very right and a very good pursuit of trying to do the right thing for God, years go by and they start to get a title and a name. Do you know what the title is given to them? They become the Pharisees. And the Pharisees' goal is just to uphold and to protect the law so that they would honor God, they would please God with their lives. Do you realize, I know that the Pharisees seem like a bad word to us because we see Jesus is always rebuking them or arguing with them or maybe because they plotted to kill him. That would normally make you a bad guy. But do you realize in their hearts they're just trying to please God? And yet they got that distracted that they got planks in their eyes that they can't see clear. They can't even see the Son of God as he's walking among them because they're so caught up in this perfect image of what they believe they need to be doing. 
and in their pursuit of God. In their pursuit of what they thought was good, they missed God in the flesh. They've missed what he was trying to do in that moment. They could not see past their version of perfection. And it was all an outward perfection. It was all about doing all the right things. It was all about the behaviors. It was all about the outward things that were being shown to others. And so they upheld that so much. And when Jesus steps into the story and they look at people that he's associated with, on the outside, they are, they are, they're flabbergasted. They're saying, they just keep going back to the law. Law says you can't do this on Sabbath. Law says this. Law says that. Why is he with sinners? Why is he with prostitutes? Why is he with tax collectors? Look at them. They look on the outside and they look at the law and they say it's not perfect as God wants it to be perfect. So Jesus could not be the son of God because look at who he spends time with. Aren't you so thankful today that God's word says that man looks on the outward but God sees the heart? And so they're caught up in this outward pursuit of perfection. But it started as a very innocent and a very good pursuit of pleasing God. I tell you this. Because when we get so caught up in an outward pursuit of perfection that everything's perfect on the outside, we begin to run a risk. And it's a risk of becoming something that Jesus called the Pharisees on a few occasions. He called them hypocrites. And a hypocrite is someone who has gotten their outward facade so mixed up with their inward, true self that who they are on the outside isn't who they are on the inside. Who they project to the world is not who they really are. Jesus goes as far as he, to call them whitewashed tombs. He said, you're making yourself look so nice on the outside, but on the inside there's nothing but death. And so whenever you pursue only looking at the outward, only trying to pursue perfection from the outward. Now, I'm not saying Martha's a terrible person. I'm not saying she's bad. I'm not saying anything. But Jesus needs to correct her path because she's going down a road that you don't need to go down. It's a road that God has not marked for us to go down. You say, well, then is it not about my behaviors? Is it not about righteousness? Is it not about living right? Because all those things seem to be pretty important to God. No, it absolutely is about all those things. In fact, if we go a few verses back in Matthew chapter 5, we can see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, 28 verses before the passage of Scripture that we started out today with. Here's what Jesus said to, the, to the, those that were listening in the same Sermon on the Mount. I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus throws out the whole argument that it's not about him looking at people whose behaviors are bad, who are living wrong lives, who are sinners and tax collectors. And they're thinking, what about God's righteousness? And he said, no, no, no. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes or Pharisees, those that have dedicated their entire lives and existence to upholding the law, that unless your righteousness surpasses that, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. You say, Pastor, this isn't a pretty picture you're painting for me. It is a picture of perfection, but it's a different kind of perfection. It comes in a completely different way. Mary is pursuing outward perfection, or Martha is pursuing outward perfection. She wants to get the house in order. She wants to do everything she can to do that. And for some of you, I need you to take a look today in the mirror, in the mirror of God's word and say, 
Am I becoming a Martha? Am I Martha? Have I been living this life where I'm just pursuing outward perfection? That things are not good on the inside. Things are not good behind the scenes. No one sees what's happening in the van before we pull up to church. But when we get out, everything's good. Everything's good. Everyone's every, everything is spick and span. Man, I lost my job and no one's going to know about it. I'm hurting so much on the inside, but man, I'm going to put on a brave, happy face and not let anyone in. I'm going to pretend like everything is status quo. You want to give them a picture of outward perfection. It's a facade. It's fake. It's not real. Today, you're hurting on the inside. But it's all about putting up the front and putting all those things in front of you. How does Jesus address those that are on that path? For some of us, we, we can cringe thinking, if I'm Martha, then I'm, I'm in for it because you know, Jesus had some strong things to say to Pharisees and if, I mean, if I'm on a road that could lead in that direction, eh. listen to how he speaks to Martha. Verse 41. The Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered by so many things. When he said the word Martha, Martha, the double use of a word or a phrase in, in the original language is actually a means of magnification. And so whenever it's said and it's a name of an individual, it's normally a sign of endearment or love to them. And so here's what I want you to do. Don't see Martha, Martha. See your name if you feel like you're at risk of being in that place. Put your name there. Chris, Chris, you're worried and bothered about so many things. Nancy, Nancy, you're worried and bothered about so many things. Mike, Mike, you are worried and bothered about so many things. The Lord speaks tenderly and in love to her, and he reaches out in the same way to you today to know that this isn't what it's all about. Martha, you want to get your house in order, but your heart is being pulled in so many directions. You're being pulled all over the place. You're worried and bothered about so many things. So many good things, maybe. Now, about a year ago, I referenced this passage of Scripture whenever I was unpackaging a principle that I want to remind us of today. It's a difference between two things. It's a difference between what's important and what is essential. Because there are many things that are important in this life. And there are many things that were important that Martha was chasing after, but Jesus said, you're worried and bothered by so many things, and you could even put the word important there. Important things. But look what he says in verse 42. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Here's what Jesus said. You are worried and bothered by so many important things, but there's only one essential thing. And that's what Mary has chosen, and that won't be taken from her. He said, Martha, take your eyes off all the important things and make sure that you're focused on what's essential. Stop chasing after what's good and make sure you don't miss God in the midst of what he wants to do in this moment. He speaks this out to her and he calls out. So he says what Mary has done is what's essential. It's what's necessary. So let's look in verse 39 again of of Luke chapter 10 to see what is it that she's doing. It says here, she had a sister named Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. This is what happened. These two sisters invite Jesus into their home. 
and they each become consumed with something. One is consumed with getting the house in order, that's Martha. But Mary, she becomes consumed with getting her heart in order because she's listening to his words and she knows that that's what has the power to change her from the inside out. When she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, we can get the idea that this is some adoring fan looking up to a superstar, wide-eyed, oh, sitting at his feet. It's a much more powerful statement than that. You see, in the Bible, to sit at someone's feet meant that you were placing yourself as their disciple. To place yourself as a disciple meant that you're sitting there, and if you're looking up to that teacher, you are saying, I want to be you. Not just I want to be like you, I want to be you. I want to become you. So she's looking at Jesus, she's listening to his word. She realizes there's something different about him. That she's not consumed with all the important things that need to happen. When he starts talking, all she can do is sit at his feet and receive from him words that lead to life. And Jesus said, that's what's essential, that's what's necessary, that's what's most important. Mary is a picture of striving for an inward perfection that the Bible promises can come into the life of those who will sit at Jesus' feet and receive and respond to his words. You'd say, how is that possible? Martha was consumed with getting her house in order. Mary was consumed with getting her heart in order. And she knew there was something about what Jesus would share, something about what his word meant that could ultimately lead to that kind of perfection. Jesus said it isn't about what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean, it's what comes out of your mouth because out of the abundance, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our problem, it's not a work problem. It's not a drug problem. It's not a lust problem. It's a heart problem. It's a sin problem. Sin has corrupted the hearts of man. It's hardened the hearts of man to the point where there is no hope in us being able to remedy that at all in our own strength and power. And so what's the answer? Because out of the heart, your entire life will unfold. Out of your heart will flow whatever's inside of there. And if that is not perfect, perfection, if it's sin, if it's whatever, it flows out. And so we have to imagine ourselves that we're in that place where we have a big problem. That if we're going to get the heart in order, as Mary wants to get the heart in order, it starts with looking to God's word. As the worship team comes, I want to bring you to a passage of scripture that is a promise from God himself through the prophet Ezekiel. As he's speaking, he begins to say through the prophet to the people, and this is a promise that would happen hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, but that would be fulfilled in Jesus. Here's what he says in Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 26. He says, moreover, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to put a new spirit within you. And I'm going to remove a heart of stone from your flesh, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. He says, the reason why you're not walking in my statutes, the reason why you're not observing what I've said, that you're not honoring my word, it's a heart problem. But he says, here's what's going to happen. There's a time that is coming that I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to give you a new spirit 
and I'm going to put my spirit in you. And I'm going to allow you to be able to carry out and to, to honor me with your life, to walk in my ordinances. How can we be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect? How can our righteousness surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees? It's by receiving a new heart and a new spirit. And that happened when God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He says, when you place your faith in the finished work of Christ, that he died, that he rose again. When he rose again, he rose so that we could have a brand new life and a brand new heart as God's word promises. Maybe you know someone in your life that has received a new heart. I know that my family was impacted by that years before I met my wife. It was before my Mandy ever got to go to her first day of school even. And her grandfather um, needed a new heart. He actually got all the way to his deathbed with no hope. But in the final hour, in like the 11th hour, someone passed away and they were a donor and it was a perfect match. And because of that, he received a new heart. And when he received a new heart, he received a new life. And he was able to see things and experience things he would never have been able to. But it couldn't happen without a new heart. Today, do you know that God's promise to you is that you'll never reach perfection in and of your own strength. But today, you can receive a new heart, a new spirit, a brand new life. And today, if you've been walking with God, maybe you've gotten distracted. Maybe you've gotten your eyes off the course. Remember, it's in his strength and his power by his spirit that will allow you to do anything. And so quit focusing on outward perfection and start focusing on the heart of the issue. Allow God to do the deep heart work that he really wants to do inside of your life. There's a word I used last week when we were talking about the cornerstone. And it's one of the things that a cornerstone is being measured for. And if this isn't there, then there's great risk for the entire building. The word is integrity, the integrity of the stone. And the integrity of the stone means is it precious, is it forged, is it, has it been made, is it in such a way that it will be able to withstand all the weight that has been placed upon it. It's the character of the stone. In the same way, God's desire is to forge character and integrity and build it into you. You're now a living stone. And he wants that to be full of integrity, to have a character about it, that you won't become undone and crumble under the waves and under the difficulties and the trials of life. But if we get so distracted by the many preparations and we only focus on the outward, we're taking precious time that God wants us to use to focus on the inward focus on the heart, to allow God to develop godly character and integrity in you. People have said, character is who you are when no one's looking. How are you doing with the Lord when no one's looking? Are you taking those moments to invest in your walk with him? Are you allowing him to shape you and to lead you and to guide you? That's what Mary was doing. She sat at the feet of Jesus. To sit at someone's feet also means you're placing yourself under their authority. 
Have you placed your whole life under the authority of Jesus? I didn't ask you, did you pray a prayer? Are you living under his lordship today? Is there any area of your life that isn't? Today, maybe you've become distracted. Come back to him. Sit at his feet. He reaches out to you in love today. And there's forgiveness in his name. Would you bow your heads and would you bow your hearts with me? I gave you two pictures of two people. In one commandment from the Lord, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You've realized by now you can't do that in your own strength. And you can't do that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So today, if you were to take a look in an inventory of your life, and you're to be very honest with me and with the Lord, most importantly, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Today, are you confident that if this was your last day on earth, that you would stand in his presence? Because there are two places. One is in the presence of God for eternity, and the other is apart from God for eternity in hell, which is torment and death. Today, if you, you don't know, you don't have peace, the Bible is clear that there is no way. There's only one way. There's no other way to the Father and to the hope of heaven than Jesus Christ. It's putting your faith in him, that he died for your sins so that you could be forgiven. And when you call upon his name in that way, and when he forgives you of your sins, you receive a new heart and a new life. The Bible says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. So today you could feel the weight of your sins maybe weighing on your life. You know that you're not at peace. You're not right with God. And today's the day you want to begin a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to lift your hand. And when you do that, you're lifting it before a God who sees you. You're not lifting it for anyone else but yourself. No one can make this decision for you. It's your decision to make. And I have some altar workers that are standing by as well. And I'm going to ask them. Everyone else's eyes are closed. My altar workers, keep your eyes open and begin to pray and intercede for those that are responding. So if today's the moment and today's the day that you say, Pastor, I'm ready to begin that brand new relationship with Jesus. Wherever you're sitting, wherever you're at, I want you to lift your hand right above your head right now. If that's you, lift your hand up. Lift it up right above your head so I could see it. Amen, I see your hand right there. Is there anyone else? I see your hand here in the main floor. Thank you. Is there anyone on the main, up on the balcony? If that's you, just lift your hand up right where you're at. Amen. Altar workers, I want you just to look around as well. If there's anyone around you that's lifting their hand, I can't see everyone. Praise God. Praise God for people that are turning their hearts to Jesus today. I want you to pray with me right now. We're going to pray a prayer. And it's you inviting Jesus to come and to save you of your sins and to give you that brand new life and that brand new heart. Say these words from the bottom of your heart. Repeat after me. Anyone else, if you'd like to join in, please do that as well as just a sign of support and recommitment of your heart and life to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I believe that you came, that you died for me, and that you rose from the dead to give me a brand new life. Today I confess my sins. I turn away from them, and I follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for a new life. 
and for a new heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, here's what we're going to do now at this time. If you rose your hand, we have some ushers and some altar workers that are near you. I want you at this time just to head with them. And we have a room that's right off of our foyer. It's a prayer room. It's a place where we want to celebrate with you, where we want to give you some literature and give you an opportunity to uh, just be prayed with by some of our leaders. So church, can we just welcome them to the family of God and celebrate the decision that they've made? If that's you right now, step right out of your seat. Um, ushers will come to you if they saw you and they can help you in that way. The rest of us, let's stand. And today, church, if you're just starting a relationship with God or you've been walking with Him for a long time, the Lord's Word challenges us right where we're at. How are we pursuing this idea of perfection? Are we leaning on that relationship with the Lord? Allow Him to strengthen you in your quiet time with Him. That's when character is being formed. It's when it's being developed. And I want to pray over you in that very end. So let's just pray, and then we'll close out with prayer and worship here in the front. Lord Jesus, would you be with us today? Would you allow your word to take a deep place in our hearts? Lord, would you allow this to take root, Lord God, and for us to know that the most important way for us to strive, Lord God, and the only way for us to be perfect as you, our Heavenly Father, are perfect, is through the work that you have done through your Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so, Lord, help us to strive to keep our heart in order, to keep our hearts submitted to you in every way, to keep coming to your word, to keep coming to you in prayer, to keep coming to you in repentance and praying for revival. Lord, fill this house this Thursday night with your body, Lord, as we call upon you in our, for our nation. Lord, use times like that to strengthen us, Lord God, to solidify us, to bring us before you in every way. So, Lord, we just commit each person here to you. Lord, I pray you'd walk with them. Lord, they experience your love, your joy over their lives. But, Lord, that you would continue to work in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.